0: Listener Production. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn and lead. Over my career, I've run teams inside newspapers, edited a magazine and launched my own business. This has meant building a team from scratch, leading through difficult times and managing the odd crisis. I've never had any leadership training because I thought you were either good at leading or you weren't. I thought being decisive was a key metric for success. I was wrong and it led me to make simple but avoidable mistakes. In this series, I'm doing what I should have done years ago, reaching out to people who I admire, who have also successfully run teams across all types of industries. So I can ask their advice on some of the common leadership challenges. One of my side hustles is mentoring future women members, which is one of the most enjoyable parts of my week. My guest today has been a project manager, a consultant, a project analyst, and a coach. Lisa Hutton grew up on the Adelaide Plains, about two kilometres from where I lived as a child. We didn't connect again until she started working with me as a volunteer mentor. In this episode, we explore what it means to be a coach and how she uses her vast experience in a wide range of different roles to assist others. Lisa Hutton, welcome to the Future Women Leadership Series. How are you today? I'm
1: well. How are you, Helen?
0: I am well, but I wanted to start talking about country kids and growing up in the bush. This is a leadership podcast, but I'm wondering about your country upbringing because I often get asked about it. Do you think that has had a major influence in the way you've approached your professional life? I think so, yeah. Um,
1: I think the work ethic It was really instilled quite well into us and also the grit. There's a lot of problem solving as well. So a combination of all of those three and the tenacity to get it done. So I don't know what it was like for you guys uh, on the McCabe farm, but us was, uh, yeah, just get the job done, keep going, and didn't matter what whether the sun had gone down, it was just keep going until the job was done kind of thing. So, yeah, absolutely it has for sure.
0: And in your professional career, whenever you've said, oh, well, I grew up in a country town or I'm a, you know, I grew up on a farm, did it people say to you, yeah, yeah, okay, now that makes a lot of sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it's kind of, um, I don't know, so going from the farm to Hamley, which is the town closest to us. So when you went into the town, it was like, oh, you're a country kid off the farm. And then going to school in Gawler, like, well, you're the country kid from Hamley and then going to Adelaide, well, you're the country kid from Gawler and then moving to Melbourne, you're the country kid from Adelaide. Like it was just this rolling theme. There's a lot of pride. I felt really proud coming from the farm and coming from the country as I grew older Um, (laughs) um, and just that real realisation how special it was to have such a different world, different environment that I don't think others would truly appreciate unless you had that experience yourself.
0: How
1: how do you feel about that? Like is that
0: Well, I, I had that experience of, you know, having this sort of privileged farming family environment in a little town. And so it was always assumed that there was money in my family. But then by the time I got to a boarding school in Adelaide, like we were just poor. So we didn't have any money and we got treated like the poor kids. So I had that both experience of kind of sort of slightly, you know, well, of course you can afford anything. And then I thought, oh, you poor country kids have, you know, had it terribly rough. But I feel like we are way, way off track. <laughs> so, I'm to bring it back. so I'm going to bring it back to your professional career. How would you describe your career? Because you've done a lot of things. Yeah,
1: I started in the financial planning division in a stockbroking firm um, was where I started. was my first job. And I've looked back in the past and I realised that a lot of my professional career was the change of it and that the diversity was born out of being bored and discontent and moving away from something rather than knowing what I was moving to. And the challenge of, well, oh, let's just see how this goes, was very much my mantra for my um, <laughs> professional career and my pathway, um, as well as traveling and living in different countries and potentially part of the the process of the anonymity of living in different countries and just not worrying about if I failed because no one knew who I was um, living in different countries. So going through and applying for jobs that I was absolutely unqualified for and seeing how that went sometimes turned out quite well.
0: <laughs> so, as one of Future Women's most popular mentors, I have to ask you because I often grapple with this when someone is describing a professional challenge they have and it sounds like they're pretty unhappy at work, how do you advise? Because I'm guessing what you would do is quit and go get a job somewhere else. So what sort of advice do you give people (laughs) where they're kind of like, I don't really like this, I don't really like that? Do you say just quit or do you, what sort of advice do you offer?
1: Yeah, I I used to be a lot more trigger happy with my advice in that sense for sure. Um, (laughs) I do like to ask people to reflect on why because a lot of the times it could be remedied in a different division, a different department, a different manager perhaps which I have done in the past where I've really liked my role, but my manager and I just didn't gel. And so I asked for a different manager and went on to a different team. And the role was the same, it just the construct was shifted and then it's um, we're made for a very happier life for everyone involved in that little nuclear environment. So I guess a part of my advice is to reflect on what they want first so who are they and where do they want to go and is the actual environment suited to that in essence? So what's your intention? Because sometimes we are discontent because our internal desire and our internal soul need needs to be stretched and maybe they've come to the end of the pathway with that company and with that environment and they're naturally discontented because that's the challenge for us to then move out of it. So sometimes these come through these not-so-delightful experiences to deliberately move us and challenge us and grow.
0: At what point in your career did you start to lead others? I
1: actually feel like, in some way, I've always been a leader in, a, in a, one way or another. I remember even in Hamley Primary School, I was picked to want to be one of the school leaders. I've always sort of been described as, I don't know, back in the uh, in the days, the quiet, quietly confident. So I have noticed that part of my, how I see things is sometimes if I'm not nominated, let's just say as a role of the leader, I will wait and observe and see who comes forward first and see who wants to be the leader in, a, in that dynamic. And then if I can see that it's kind of not getting some traction, then I'll step in and lead the group as well. So I kind of lead by side by side and also lead from the front and also lead by behind. So, I sort of fit in to see where the strengths of the group are and fill in the gap from there or or at least provide some robustness around that.
0: So, is your natural instinct to be the leader? If they don't come to you automatically, you're kind of thinking, pick me because I know I can do this. Is that your natural instinct?
1: Um, it's not necessary pick me because I think I can do this. It's I can see a gap and I can see where it needs to go. So I think my thought process is because I can, I can think broadly and also granularly. So I can see the big picture of where it where it needs to go, but I'm also very mindful of people and their dynamics. So not to necess- I'm very. I'm not a bulldoze. Let's do it my way. I'm a maybe this will work. Let's put this into the mix and see where it falls with the people involved. Because sometimes it's worthwhile because you don't always know the answer. You don't always know where it's gonna land. But you have an inclination, you have an intuition. At the same time, it's nice for people to lead first and then realize maybe it's better to do the way that, that Lisa suggested, let's try this now instead. So it's also nice to have people learning as well. Not to say I've always got the answers, but I, I love the curiosity about it as well.
0: Yeah, or well, looking at your CV, you know, all the variety of roles you've had, you've obviously got plenty of quiet confidence to kind of have a go at any project. How do you describe your job now?
1: So I resigned from my last corporate senior management role in an ASX-listed division company um, as national projects manager, which was designing and building pharmacies and oncology labs and private hospitals around the country. That's what I went from. I, I say that because I wanted to put some weight on what I left. And the reason why I left was the, the corporation was no longer aligned with my core values. The role was still fine. I didn't really know where I was going, but I knew what I was being asked to do. Um, so I've been asked to advise and mentor and to guide. So to guide businesses. And now I am coaching. So now I'm coaching professionals going through the experience I went through and uncovering themselves and finding who they are, what their core purpose is, where their drivers are. I find sometimes when we're in a corporate world, we've, we've kind of lost a bit part of ourselves. And so to uncover that intention and what we want to serve and what our purpose is and that real, you know, the yumminess of ourselves that, that is underneath and... Finding where we want to go. And it might be, you know, opening a bookshop or it might be making surfboards or it might be just something really random that we haven't allowed ourselves to experience that could then lead, that could then teach others because it's all, it's all about connection. It's all about how we connect with others. And if we're already disconnected with ourselves, how are we going to connect with others around us? So that's where I'm leading from and, and coaching people with now.
0: The yumminess of ourselves.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, why not? Is that a,
0: <laughs> <laughs> why not? No, I, I, <laughs> I, I feel like I, that I need to adopt that. Um, um, just to step back a bit, can you describe for us like a moment in your professional life that just went really wrong? So, you know, if you've worked in those sorts of roles at a high level over many years, when it went bad, what did that look like?
1: I haven't had anything hugely go wrong, to be honest. Like I always sort of say to my teens, let's put this into perspective. So when something would go wrong, it was like, well, timelines, money, quality, uh, we're at at a point that we're going to be affected. But ultimately, what does it really mean in the whole scheme of things? Let's put this into perspective now. So it actually became a really good lesson in having the courage to backtrack and not stay true to the point of purpose delivery and going oh, okay we're going to lose some time but what resulted was better quality and it was actually more cost effective i was told you know you don't go backwards you're going to lose what's already in play you're going to lose the people who are already involved and i looked it around and i said no and i kept to my guns i said no we need to redo this we need to re- we need to have a look at this again and we got better people involved different people involved and i think it saved us around 60 grand for that for that change so yeah it went wrong but i think it went right as well it's all a matter of perspective
0: you've never had that um career moment where you're just gridlocked, you know, you, no one's listening to you. You got a, someone somewhere in the building that doesn't really like you. It's like a pretty standard career problem as you get more senior, that eventually just you're kind of gridlocked. No matter what you do, it doesn't really work. Have you ever been stuck? And that's when you just quit, isn't it?
1: Yeah, more than likely. Yeah, I do... I have found my voice and for me it was all about I needed for my own conscience and my own integrity to at least send out where I was coming from and so I know that I've been in businesses where they've made decisions where I didn't agree with and the only thing that i I, I, Understandably, I'm not privy to all of the nuts and bolts of decisions that happen in, in certain levels and I understand that. But also at the same time, sometimes the decisions are made without understanding all the nuts and bolts underneath where they're sitting as well and the impact that has. So for me, what I have done in the past is formally communicated in writing what I believe the decision, um, the impact where it could go wrong and where I believe the decision would be better to be overturned. And I didn't ask for a response. I said, you know, this is for me, I just need you to understand the whole story here and do with it what you may. And I've, I've had to speak and I've actually had to speak up for myself and for others. And for me, it's sometimes it's even not for the expectation of the what happens at the end. It's more about the voice.
0: Right. So I'm going to get you to play coach. (laughs) I'm going to ask you some questions. Sure. I was on a call today and a young woman said her problem is she needs help managing up. She's really good at managing her team, but she's struggling to connect with management above her. Like she's like, it's a, you know, it's more of a hostile relationship. And you know that person who has a great relationship with the boss. Yeah. But her own team, she, you know, disregards and her own team dislikes her. And, you know, as well as a, you know, builder of teams, you want the person who can do both. You you never want someone who's only good at one or the other.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think for for my, if it was me having the gridlock position where I have been in that position before is I've had the one-on-ones. I've actually sat down and communicated with them directly and been honest and open and really frame it well as well. So... Coming from a place of compassion and curiosity to understand, and whoever the management person that they want to um, speak with, that you may think is the the best person to approach, let's just say, and understand their viewpoint as well. So, also, it's do you understand you're coming across this way? Do you understand that this is the effect you're having on myself and the team? And asking them, are you aware? That this is how you're being received. Can we work on this? And having an open communication with them is how I would probably go about it.
0: What about a scenario, Coach Lisa, where (laughs) I say to you, I don't have any problems with men. I work really well with men. Men are uncomplicated. My biggest problems are working with other women. I've got a group and they don't get along and that's where all my grief is. What do you say to that?
1: Yeah, so... The group of women don't get along or this person doesn't get along with? Well,
0: they're my issue over there. Like my only problem in my organisation is the women that I manage, not the men.
1: Yeah, okay. So You would have
0: heard it like lots of times, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, and I I would see that as a competitive culture potentially. So I always just think that people will get along if they know each other. So I would... I know this sounds a bit corny, but I'd actually get them do some sort of potentially out-of-work exercise that it's more about understanding each other and getting down to the human side of of each other and really seeing that person as a human rather than a competitor and getting them to, if you can, start to care about each other.
0: What are the most common professional challenges that you hear about?
1: In our little mentoring um, uh, team and group, professional challenges, I believe, um, are coming up is how do I become a leader? How do I get promoted in a company where the higher you go, the less opportunities there are to get promoted? How do I switch careers when I don't have the background in the profession that I want to switch career to? They're the top three.
0: So interesting, and the, and the reason why um, you're getting those questions is because of your because you've switched careers a lot, right? So people mm-hmm. are drawn to you. So I take if we take the last one, how do you work through that that challenge with somebody else?
1: My main thing is don't wait for permission. Don't wait for somebody to give you the permission to change jobs. Don't wait for permission or somebody to say yes, you can do this before you go and do it. A lot of my background when I have switched careers is I never told anybody. I never opened myself up to the influence of somebody else's lens to tell me that I can't. As soon as I, and I had learnt this because I um, had experienced this, is I'm planning on, for example, planning on getting a motorbike when I bought a motorbike. I didn't tell people, Right because I knew. you knew they'd say that was I crazy knew, right <laughs> um, I didn't tell people um, you know that I'm going to oh, I don't know jump off a bridge in South Africa I didn't tell people that you know the day I became a stockbroker I just decided on the day and made it happen. I remember I was working at uh, the Treasury in New Zealand and just then like working there I was like you know what I want to working projects in um, Telco and three months later, I had no background, but I I decided that's what I was going to do and I just didn't allow anybody else's fear come into my field. I just went and did it.
0: I found, and I'm the opposite, I I often workshop everything quite widely (laughs) Um, and I've often found when someone tells me, and you remind me of this, you cannot buy a motorbike. There is no way that's a good idea. You've been talking about buying one for ages. It's ridiculous. Don't buy one. That's when I decide I am definitely buying one. Right. That's <laughs> like I get, quite, I get quite motivated by someone telling me I can't do something.
1: Yeah. And that's so good. It's it's good to know where we're motivated from and when we're demotivated mm-hmm. from. And I so, don't have a
0: motorbike, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
1: have one anymore. I don't have anyone anymore. <laughs> Um, That's really interesting. And I think that goes back to knowing yourself. I know that I've said to some of the women, give yourself permission to do what you want to do and write down what it is. Be clear about where you want to go. And when people have asked me, you know, how, how do I get a promotion in these senior rankings? My question to them is, why do you want it? What is it going to fill you with? Um, What is the fulfillment factor here? Where, Where is this making you happy? Not to say it's not, but understand why you're doing something, which is some of the things that I've been missing in my career is why am I doing these things apart from the fact of I'm bored from or not wanting to do the last job. So really directing your life with intention and purpose and fulfillment and joy and happiness and let them be your driver and let them be your goals and also when you know that and there's a fear around that why is there fear is that enough to stop you from making all these beautiful yummy decisions for yourself and letting that strive and seeing that nervousness and that fear as a sense of care because you care about not doing it if there's fear you know it's If you didn't wanna do it, there wouldn't be a fear around it. You wouldn't be wanting to push yourself to it. So seeing that as a courage point of pushing past. And a lot of the things I've done is not without fear. I haven't done it without uncertainty. I've pushed through a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear around doing these things. But my drive to get it done and to actually do it was so much greater.
0: Lisa Hutton, I think that's an excellent note to end on. Your advice is way beyond pure leadership. It's about the yumminess. And um, that is just a really great message. And I can see why you're one of our favourite mentors and absolutely inspiring to talk to. Thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Helen. I really, really appreciate it. such a joy.
0: This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Executive producer is Jennifer Goggin, series producer is Holly Mitchell, and audio imaging by Nat Marshall.